been complaining about the jokes from the late night shows for uh, quite a while now. Well, basically since uh, since the Trump era began, because mm-hmm. we used to play jokes from the Tonight Show and Colbert and whatever regularly every single day, and then they just became repetitive and not funny. Well, it turns out that some of the writers feel the same way, how liberal late-night talk shows became a comedy sinkhole, even including to some of the people that work on them. More on that coming up later. So I'm concerned about plastics. I really am. <clears throat> we produce, we modern humans produce an astounding amount of plastic. That's incredible. Every day. I took day. the trash out today and just... Yeah. It's just stuffed full of plastic, this and that. The water bottles, everything is packaged in plastic. Yep. So many things you buy, and and there's so much in the oceans now. And, you know, uh, listen, I, I get the various plastic bag bans up and down the West Coast, for instance. I get the intention of it, and we'll talk about those bans and some of the unintended consequences, which are um, in, not only interesting, but kind of funny. Um, but 90% of the plastic plastic that's in the ocean, they think, comes from Asia. Ninety percent. Wow. Yeah. They use more plastic or just because there's so many people? Well, yeah, there's zillions of people right by the coasts, and uh, and it could have to do with winds and currents, too, honestly. I haven't read up much about it, but it was a liberal outlet that was reporting this, so I, I tend to think it, you know, they, they will not willingly uh, minimize the U.S.'s responsibility. In environmental stuff, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I figured they were probably sincere. Then there's this other uh, study I heard that are finding, because when plastic does, uh, like, go away, uh, plastic bags, you know, whipped by the wind until there's barely anything there, well, those tiny little particles stay in the air. And now they're finding p- tiny little microparticles of plastic everywhere. I mean, the, the remote mountain ranges of the world, they test the air and there's little bits of plastic everywhere. Um, so, you know, I, I, and there are billions, you know, almost 8 billion people, or is it 8 billion on Earth right now? We're cranking out plastic at an astounding rate. So, Whoever, I, I, I'm not some sort of I don't care type. I do care. Whoever invented the, uh, like, the vacuum-sealed plastic packaging that is so popular oh, yeah. for practically everything, Yeah, that was a step backwards for the environment. It was a step forward for, for stopping shoplifting, I suppose. Mm-hmm. I think that's part of the point of it. Yeah. Um, that super thick, rugged stuff. You have to have like utility scissors to cut into it. And, and be, then you got to be careful because oh, yeah. if you get a quote unquote paper cut with one of those things, you could sever a finger. Oh yeah, they're super hard to cut without hurting yourself right. or damaging the product. But yeah, those things. Every toy, every tool, every everything I buy comes in those. And there's just no need for it. So anyway, this uh, University of Sydney, Australia uh, economist, <coughs> excuse me, Rebecca Taylor. She she moved several times for a new job. She and she's joking. She moved from uh, D.C. to California to Australia, and everywhere she went, bag restrictions were implemented shortly thereafter. And she thought that was kind of uh, amusing. And she decided to study the regulations and their unintended consequences. Um, they mentioned before California banned plastic shopping bags statewide in 2016, a wave of 139 California cities and counties implemented the policy themselves, and the state followed suit. <clears throat> Taylor and colleagues compared bag use in cities with bans with those without them. For six months, they spent weekends in grocery stores tallying the types of bags people carried out. Uh, she, anal- she analyzed these stores' sales data. She found that these bag bans did what they were supposed to do. People in the cities with the bans used fewer plastic bags, which led to about 40 million fewer pounds of plastic trash per year. But people who 
used to reuse their shopping bags for other purposes. Which I think is most people. Hell, all people, I think. Is there anybody that doesn't? We used them to line our trash cans. Or picking up dog poop. And that. Right? Um, They still needed bags. What I found, she says, was that sales of garbage bags actually skyrocketed after plastic grocery bags were banned. I never bought, never, as in never, Bought bags for any of those little trash cans, like the ones you keep under your sink or whatever. Like the little never, office never, ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, nope. Never bought one in my life. Indeed. This was particularly the case for small four-gallon bags, which saw a 120% increase in sales after bans went into God, effect. I wish I had the ability to think ahead on these things. When they started banning plastic bags to you know, invest in trash bags, realized, well, a lot of people oh. are going to buy lots of trash bags. Mm. Uh, trash bags are thick and use more plastic than typical shopping bags. So about 30% of the plastic that was eliminated, eliminated by the ban comes back in the form of thicker garbage bags. There you go. On top of that, cities that banned plastic bags saw a surge in the use of paper bags, which she estimates resulted in about uh, 80 million pounds of extra paper trash per year. Now, paper trash is, uh, well, the paper trash is is more biodegradable than plastic. But listen to this. Plasticators, brace yourselves. A bunch of studies, and this is from the good folks at NPR's Planet Money. A bunch of studies found that paper bags are actually worse for the environment. They require cutting down and processing trees, which involves a lot of water, toxic chemicals, fuel, and heavy machinery. While paper is biodegradable and avoids some of the problems of plastic, the huge increase of paper, together with the uptick in plastic trash bags, means banning plastic shopping bags increases greenhouse gas emissions. That said, do the bans reduce non-biodegradable trash? Well, you got your reusable cloth bags, right? They've got to be great. No, they can be even worse, according to a 2011 study. You got by different the U- kinds of trash. You got your biodegradable trash. You got your plastic trash. You got your white trash. You got your lake trash. You got boat trash. Oh boy, you got camper trash. Lake lice, the fishermen call. <laughs> A 2011 study by the government of the UK, Edo, found a person would have to reuse a cotton tote bag 131 times before it was better for climate change than using a plastic grocery bag once. Now, climate change is not the only issue, though. Sure. That's kind of a a canard, that thing, because, you know, it's trash in the oceans and blowing around. Danish government recently did a study that took into account environmental impacts beyond simply greenhouse gas emissions, including water use, damage to ecosystems, air pollution. These factors made cloth bags look even worse. They estimate you'd have to use an organic cotton bag 20,000 times more than a plastic grocery bag to make using it better for the environment. Which nobody's going to do. Right. So Here is the problem with you utopians. And a lot of times... Your intentions are good, which will pave the road to hell, as the old saying goes, and it's a wise old saying. And actually, you know, as a guy who lives in a place with crumbling roads, you can pave the roads with anything you want. Just pave them, please. But anyway, you just do things because they make you feel good. And because at the rally, they told you it was a good idea. You've got to think things through. Stop banning stuff all the time because your vision of the world requires it. For instance, I stopped using straws, but now I use the leg bones from Spotted Owls to drink my lattes. (laughs) Right, right. And did that help? No, you're better off with the straws. The most environmentally friendly way to carry groceries is to use the same bag over and over again. 
According to the Danish study, the best reusable ones are made from polyester or plastics like polypropylene. So have a plastic bag and reuse that. Heavy-duty plastic bag. These have to be used dozens and dozens of times to be greener than the super-thin plastic grocery bags, which have the smallest carbon footprint for a single use. That's the single use. That's ignoring the fact that I'm going to use it more than once. Yes. Because I'm going to use it at home instead of the trash bag. Which cuts your per-use damage to the environment in half. Right. Right. Uh, but as for bag policies, as long as we're quoting this uh, lovely gal. We, we also, so I, never, Taylor? so I never in my life had, bought, had purchased a single small trash bag before they got rid of plastic at the stores. And I never in my life had purchased plastic bags to pick up dog poop. Right. Now, we order regularly from Amazon the little plastic baggies for dog poop right. and buy lots of trash bags. So, yeah. As for bag policies, uh, the good doctor, the economist, Ms. Taylor, says a fee is smarter than a ban. She has a second paper showing a small fee for bags is just as effective as a ban when it comes to encouraging the reuse, reuse of, I'm sorry, the use of reusable bags. But a fee offers flexibility for people who reuse plastic bags for garbage disposal or dog walking. Mm. So, unintended consequences. Yeah, I remember when that story came out. Over and over and over again. Hilarious to people who don't like these sorts of uh, social engineering maneuvers that the cloth bags were actually the worst thing you could do. (laughs) Right, right. Isn't that something? It is something. Yeah. Now, uh, again, with the caveat, if you use it for the rest of your life, it's better. Well, nobody's going to do that. A single bag for the rest of your days. Nobody's going to do that. On Earth. (laughs) So, one final thought from me. I hope, I think, I would urge there be a revolution in packaging. Yeah. Um, I'd be all for that. Now, we need to figure out what to do about shoplifting and everything, because uh, many of the progressive parts of the United States, for instance, have decriminalized crime, so people are stealing with impunity, which is leading to all sorts of terrible, terrible consequences for quality of life. Um but not everything needs to be packaged in heavy-duty plastic. Oh, God. Just ridiculous. It is. It's so bad. Oh, Toys for the kids especially. Just so many things. Oh, my God. A $2 item that cost a dime to make surrounded in all this plastic. Right. I worked uh, when I was in high school for one of those catalog houses where you'd show up and they'd have something on the uh, on the shelf. But you'd grab a little slip of paper. Yeah. Go yeah. pay, and it would show yeah. up 30 seconds later if I was doing my job right, which was rare. Um, <laughs> it'd show up 30 seconds later, and you'd pick it up. Uh, and so that really cut down on shoplifting. So I wonder if that's the uh, the model. I don't know. So Trump with his second veto? I'm kind of interested in this story because it involves our military. Well, not our military, but war around the world. War as hell. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the, of nation. the nation. Available right now via the iHeart app and iTunes. Our two new podcasts. Armstrong and Getty, one more thing. That's our daily after show podcast. And Armstrong and Getty Extra Large featuring our interviews of the most interesting people in the world. Subscribe today via the iHeart app or iTunes. Or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Because we're stupid. The Armstrong and Getty Show. 
Chips Ahoy have issued a recall on the cookie brand after reports of a mysterious solidified ingredient was found in several of its packages. Even worse, Fig Newtons. <laughs> oh, I, I disagree. I, I agree. I disagree. Oh, what is a, a delicious? <laughs> what is a fig? God, my brother liked oh, the Fig Newtons. I couldn't cookie. even look at them. Oh, I love them. I agree. Even worse, Fig Newtons. <laughs> God, I agree. I haven't had one in years. You need a more sophisticated palate to enjoy the Fig Newton, Jack. <laughs> it's not a cookie for little children. Although I, I loved them as a little child. <laughs> oh, boy. Does seem like something like an 85-year-old would eat on the porch. <laughs> wow. Like I'll sit wow. on the porch and have a fig newton. Wow. You know what I'm going to do today? Says old white bread Jack. I won't have you insulting my favorite gonna childhood s- cookies. I'm going to sit on the porch and watch the sunset and have a fig newton. Here's a question for you. Is there a single natural ingredient in the Chips Ahoy? I don't know. I'm sure they have attorneys who are, will be answering that question. So, They're a delicious snack, Jack, and I recommend everybody buys a bag today. They come in a bag. Oh, I do lo- like Chips Ahoy's. Oh, they're disgusting. Um, um, <laughs> I hate to mention the T word because then everybody, you know, everybody gets distracted by the T word and it becomes all about the T word. Mm. If you say Trump along, along with any story, it all becomes about Trump and Trumpity, this and Trump, that. Trump, and, Trump, Trumpity, Trump, 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 and it Trump, must, Trump. and you know, whatever. Yeah. But but so the president. With his second veto of his presidency, vetoed a resolution that would have ended U.S. support for the Saudi-led military campaign in Yemen. Now, I don't know a ton about this. I know that I know more than the average American knows, which is zero, because I don't Mm -hmm. think most people are following this at all. But I've read a number of articles about it. I'm still confused by it, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, what's going on there. And And that's actually one of the issues. Sure. And and why the president thinks it's so important. I I do know that it's uh, MBS. Um, and MSG from uh, the Arab Emirates uh, together think this is an important battle for their supremacy over Iran in the Middle East. But why are we involved in that fight? I do not know. I mean, Iran's our enemy. There are buds, nominally. There are allies. There are friends. There's a lot of people getting killed and living miserable lives because of it. And Uh, it's one of those situations where these uh, Houthi rebels that we're fighting, they're not really down with Iran. It's It's one of those alliances of convenience. So there are a lot of people who think, well, we could peel them off, Iran. They don't care. So we're fighting and killing and the rest of it for these shifting tribal friggin' alliances there in the sandy part of the world. It's all disgusting. The House and Senate both passed it with a bipartisan support. Seven Republican senators signed on and, uh, and a number of Republican uh, in the House. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's behind it. Well, it's a humanitarian nightmare, too. No doubt. And and nobody seems to be getting anywhere. And nobody pays any attention. Right, right. You can't get people to pay attention to Afghanistan where we actually have our own soldiers dying. You certainly can't get anybody to pay attention to we support some other war. Right, and there are, you know, th- tens of thousands of civilians starving, blah, blah, blah. Who has the time? The veto means the United States will continue its involvement in Saudi Arabia's bombing campaign against Yemen's Houthi rebels, uh, waged in the name of holding back Iran's expanse in the region, which... I think we're all for. Although, well, yeah, I get that. It's not a, a bad goal. Well, although MBS, so um, remember when he jailed the women who were protesting for the right to drive, even though he was going to allow them to drive? Right, exactly. <laughs> so he jailed these women that were protesting for the right to drive. One of them is out now saying that she was uh, waterboarded and electrocuted. 
as part of her torture mm. for daring to protest in, as a woman in Saudi Arabia. That's right. the great reformer MBS. So, Oh, yeah. Whatever he's up to, and we're in bed with him, I don't know. Tell you what, it's a, it's a cutthroat part of the world. Reminds me of Game of Thrones. It's a, with the, every bit of the uh, the moral uh, fiber of it. You just slash and cut and burn and rape and the rest of it to, to get power. And, and you know what? We can't be on the short end of that stick. On the other hand, you know, you find yourself engaged with people and struggles that you find reprehensible. So a few minutes ago, we played a joke from Seth Meyers. He's got a late night and show. And lions and, 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 and no, dragons eating people. What? A few minutes ago, we played a joke from Seth Meyers. He's a host of one of your late night shows, and it was a funny joke. It wasn't political or uh, Trump related, thank God. But so many of them are now, and um, and have been for the last couple of years. And even people who work on the shows think that it's uh, become a, a quote from one writer: uh, "A dumb factory of lazy ideas." And we'll get to some of the some of that coming up a little bit later this hour. It's it's interesting. It's something we picked up on. We stopped playing a lot of the jokes because they just stopped being funny or interesting at all. Dumb factory. Anybody work at one of those? <laughs> yeah, I heard that. What's coming up in your news, Marshall Phillips? Yeah, we got a lot of rumors swirling about North Korea's Kim and Russia President Putin. Notre Dame, what was lost, what was saved, and sleep myths that can shorten your life. Oh, boy. Sleep myths that can shorten your life? Jeez, lead with that. Stay tuned. It's all coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. The late night shows are blanking unwatchable, says one critic, and uh, quotes a bunch of writers who say, who work on the shows who say they're unwatchable. I'm really happy to hear that we're not just the only ones who think that. Clearly about half of America thought that. The people who work on the shows and agree with the politics think that. Right. Saturday- we need, and we need to get to this story eventually. Uh, Yuma, Arizona has been overwhelmed by migrants, declared a state of emergency in the city. They're dealing with terrible problems, crime and vagrancy and all sorts of stuff. I'm not surprised. Here's the news now with Marshall Phillips. Al America's special envoy for North Korea is headed to Moscow as rumors are heating up about a possible meeting between Kim Jong-un and Russian President Vladimir Putin. A South Korea foreign affairs officials reportedly saying a Russia-North Korea summit was being pushed forward. So far, there's not any uh, confirmation from either country, but Russia in the past has echoed North Korea's call for phasing out sanctions in exchange for denuclearization. So it looks like there's uh, the the possibility of a Putin-Un uh, summit is really heating up. This makes perfect sense geopolitically. The Russians who want to do absolutely anything they can to screw the U.S., they've got a willing partner in North Korea if they can get them a little cash and the rest of it. Meanwhile, screw up the U.S. effort to unify the peninsula, or at least to denuclearize it. It's just, this is just, it's got Putin written all over it. Yep. Yeah. Classic move. Yeah. Notre Dame's bishop is saying he will close the burned-out Paris Cathedral for up to six years. He acknowledged... Well, so it's going to be closed for six years. Yep. Hmm. 
Mm. He acknowledged that as he was speaking with local business owners, because the business owners are also very upset, saying, well, sure. the tourists, there's not, we're going to have any tourists. We're going to oh lose all God. this business. Well, it, it got 30,000 tourists yep. a day, which, yep. think about the business you'd have at the local bars, restaurants, whatever around there. Right. The 30,000 tourists a day, they have to close the whole thing. I mean, I've been to a lot of different things that are being renovated, right. and they, you know, they open up part of it, at least. Hard hat area. Going to put up that temporary fencing and the rest of it. Yeah, when I heard it was the most visited site in Paris, I thought, wait a minute, come on now, the Eiffel Tower. No, twice as many visitors right. Right. to the cathedral as Eiffel Tower. Anyway, the bishop... The Eiffel Tower. The bishop and was... And Eiffel Tower. The bishop was reporting that a segment of the cathedral has indeed been very weakened by the devastating fire. You would expect that. The only major work, though, damaged inside Notre Dame was the high altar, which was hit when the spire collapsed and fell in on it. The three famous large stained glass rose windows survived. They may have been damaged by the heat, but they're going to check those out. But it looks like they'll be in okay shape. Did you see that one firefighter, and this on Easter week of all things, one firefighter ran out of the building with the crown of thorns that they believe is the actual was on Jesus' head when he was crucified, crown of thorns. They have it at Notre Dame, and it was just there. And uh, they're afraid it was going to burn down. Or burn up. Crazy. Wow. And it turns out the 18th century organ also made it through. It'll be assessed for possible water damage. Wow, but I heard those it made it. Declared definitively that the organ had been destroyed. Nope. Okay, maybe now not. They're, now they're saying it's okay. Officials you can consider... get a little vigor and the organ's working again. Oh, boy. Huh? Officials... Childish. Childish is right. Officials consider the fire to have been an accident. They are still interviewing workers from the companies involved in the renovation. Spoken like a Chips Ahoy eater. Nobody is going with uh, God's wrath. Nobody. Other than me. You are. I'd say you keep pitching that. Some myths about sleep that may negatively affect you. There's a new study from New York University outlining a few of the myths that are bad for you, starting with the idea... That you can get by with less than five hours of sleep a day. What kind of myth is that? Who's Who's ever heard that that myth? Nobody's saying that. Nobody's going around saying that. You know what turns out not to be true? Mm. Getting by on five hours of sleep or less. Who says that? How about the myth that all dogs walk on their hind legs at midnight (laughs) and recite Shakespeare? I've known people over the years. You can't just make up myths for for the purpose of destroying them, Marshall. I've known people over the years who claimed they were like they could get by on four hours of sleep. Some people can, but it's It's a myth. Some people can. Trump does. But it's not it's not a myth to go around that we're all trying to live out. <laughs> the researchers say that try that sleeping less than five hours a day it makes will, you really tired, yeah. No, it damages your heart severely. I'm sure it does. Right. Yes. <laughs> also the researchers are pointing out that having a little alcoholic nightcap before going to bed is a very bad idea. Not because a great idea. It decreases the quality of your no. sleep as well. Sleep like a stone. <laughs> you, can, you could shut up. Is one option. <laughs> All right, experts say you need seven hours of sober sleep a night for good health. Seven hours of sober sleep, at least. At Ain't least. nobody got time for that. Oh, wrong. I do. I love it. I love to sleep. I'd sleep for a living if I could. Newly public. I don't tick- think I've had eight hours in a row in. Jeez, uh, I don't know. Half dozen years at least. Mm. You ever see your dogs at midnight? Walking around reciting Shakespeare? Oh, yeah. <laughs> On her hind leg. I get up Never to... interrupt them. Or I... they'll stab you. That's part of the myth. Uh, I get up to pee, and there's 
our pug walking down the hall on his hind leg. Right. <laughs> Alas, <laughs> poor Yorick. <laughs> I knew him, Horatio. Oh. Newly public text messages reveal Cook County, Illinois State Attorney Kim Fox called Jesse Smollett a washed-up celeb who lied to cops, but he was being overcharged. She pointed out... How are you a washed-up celeb when you're at the height of your fame when this all happened? Yeah, that, that's just an odd thing to say. I, well, go on, Marshall. Well, she was pointing out that he was facing fewer charges than singer R. Kelly, who's accused of having sex with several underage girls. Texting pedophile with four victims, 10 counts. Washed up celeb who lied to cops, 16 counts. Fox writing that just because they can charge someone with something doesn't mean they should. Well, and she said she'd recused herself. Right. Then later said, well, I didn't formally recuse myself. And then it turns out she was messing with the case all along. Right. Lying liar. Sending text messages back and forth. Right. All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. So if you decided after years of maybe liking the you know late night shows or Saturday Night Live or whatever that you couldn't watch them anymore, the writers even think that you can't watch them anymore. They talk about the formula they use to write the uh, monologues now and how tired it is. It's kind of funny. Ooh, boy. It's kind of funny. Among other things. Bernie was asked about uh, the whole um, illegal immigration in sanctuary cities and Trump wanting to send illegals to sanctuary cities. Yeah. His answer is kind of interesting. There's no, there's, it's a tough response for the pro-illegal immigration crowd. It's a hard one to respond to. Right. I love it. Stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. So for many years, oh buddy, some buddy guy, thank you very much. Um, for years on this show, we'd come back from most breaks with jokes from Letterman or Leno or whoever. We're but, thinking of doing it this segment, but we, but we, but we stopped doing it because they stopped being funny, or, or they are always the same joke. They might have been, it might have been a funny joke if it was the first time you heard that take, but sure. It just got repetitive with the whole Trump era thing, and uh, and, and so we got turned off to it. And then I, you know, I I as a Saturday Night Live fan since the first year it came on, I've hardly missed an episode in all the years it's been on. It's gotten unwatchable for me. Mm. And it turns out that even the people that work on these shows feel the same way. Now, this article by a man called Miles Klee, who writes a culture column, starts with. Something kind of unrelated, and I don't want to get distracted by, but it starts with uh, the Daily Show uh, debate between Christopher Hitchens and Jon Stewart, which is one of the great moments in the history of the Daily Show. If you've never seen it, the YouTube videos out there. My favorite part of it is because Christopher Hitchens, as a well-loved lefty, was pro-Iraq war, mm-hmm. and Jon Stewart and his whole crowd was anti, and they got into it. And my favorite part of it was when Christopher Hitchens called Jon Stewart sunshine. <laughs> Well, let me tell you, sunshine, oh. the way the world works. <laughs> Very nice. I just enjoyed that. But anyway, um, everyone is on autopilot at these shows. You could fairly accuse me 
of hating late-night talk shows long before they transformed into entertainment for resistance boomers who think that calling Trump the Cheeto-in-Chief is devastatingly clever. I actually laughed laughed when I read that. (laughs) It's somewhat clever. Cheeto-in-Chief. He's orange. But the reality is that these shows are effing unwatchable. (laughs) One writer, a man with an impressive resume, reached out to me as I started this piece. He works at one of the major network late shows, and he's despondent. I've been venting about this very S to a friend of mine for five months now. To me, this is all because of two big things. One being that the late night writer rooms are all extremely homogenous groups of cynical, miserable comedy dudes who figure out the formula for the show early on. Then they never work any harder because they don't need to, which makes sense because the other big thing is that people who make the actual decisions on these shows are all older white dudes who are out of touch but think that they aren't and are never thinking in terms of comedy or upending power. And so they just go with the status quo. Um an explanation of what the uh, shows have become. With uh, uh, monologue-wise, they're just a bunch of shortcuts to jokes that every writer knows to hit for uh, for Trump stories now. Talk about Trump loving fast food. Reference a, reference a photo where he looks awful. Call him orange. Mention the Stormy Daniels thing. Uh, always in some not-so-thinly-veiled anti-sex way. Uh uh, mentioned that he tweets a lot. Once of his catchphrases, fake news, everyone, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's on autopilot and writes the same jokes every single night. Mm. I'm glad I I'm not agree. the only person that noticed yes. that. He added that trying to push any new idea, even if it's low risk, is a series of hurdles that almost always ends in different producers saying, I don't see it, or shutting it down because they don't get the reference that the entire uh, rest of the world would get, or bristling that the idea of even mentioning race, gender, sex in any creative way that isn't already um, acceptable. Wow. So that is okay. Never push the limits of anything else. Oh boy, that's the back to the whole comedians won't tour college campuses phenomenon anymore. Mm-hmm. They don't even have the freedom to pursue different evergreen subjects because the Trump stuff got more engagement and sort of legitimized them as a show with a point of view, which is nonsense. We're a show with a point of view because we make these anti-Trump jokes, the same ones every single night. Yeah, yeah, it is a point of view, but it's one that burns very quickly. Every single person in late night knows it's a dumb factory of lazy ideas, says one fed-up writer. I will never be happy with anything I make. Well, that's a little despondent. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of miserable comedy dudes. Um, Who in the hell is hungry for extra Trump analysis at night? (laughs) I've never understood the notion of commenting on the news and late night anyway. Maybe it's a relic of a time when people legitimately got heard things for the first time on the day at night, but that's just not true anymore. That mm. that's a good point right there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um I don't mind topical humor. I don't either. You got to mix it up a little bit. Well, and listen, the uh, one of the problems with the progressive crowd is the things that you can talk about or got to help you try to joke about. That that list gets very, very, very short, and the penalties for violating the code are severe. And so, yeah, it gets more and more risk averse. And if if comedy is is fearful, you're afraid of who you might offend all the time. It kills it. Trust me on this. I know. It mentioned in that article how they all really want to be John Oliver, which is actually a show that covers a lot of different stories in depth and treats people like they're smart and has has a point of view, but it's not maddeningly the same all the time. Right. Same story, anyway. Yeah. Um, I wanted to get this Bernie thing on from the town hall. Oh, by the way, Marshall's got some uh, some news that Buttigieg is uh, trying to work a deal with Fox to get a town hall because Bernie's ratings were so high. 
The smart candidates realize that reaching a large audience of potential voters is a good idea, Mm -hmm. even if it's the evil Fox. Right. Um, Bernie got vastly higher ratings on Fox than he did on CNN. CNN. For yeah, their town hall. I, yeah, I, uh, I, I think, uh, I think regular Fox viewers were interested. I was, and then probably Bernie supporters thought, "Here's a chance to stick it to the evil Fox." Mm. So you'd get the double whammy there. But anyway, here's Bernie the other night and uh, being asked about the whole uh, sending illegals to sanctuary cities, sanctuary states thing that Trump came up with, and just dealing with the border in general. But we need real, comprehensive immigration reform. We don't need, and let me say this very clearly, we don't need to demonize immigrants. That we don't need to do. But but let me ask you to answer my question. Can you pause there? That's just, I I like Bernie well enough as a a guy. I don't agree with his politics. I think he's crazy for that. I don't don't understand how you come up with that point of view. But he seems like a decent guy who, who believes this stuff. He's not trying to get rich. That's not his goal with all this, I don't think. Um... But that that line, God dang it, that line, oh, yeah. it just wears me out. You ever heard anybody call an immigrant a demon? It's very rare, actually. No, no, just see, you can't. You got to have borders, and you got to deal with it. And there's yeah, problems. Yeah, the idea and, that yeah, all Trump is a racist, and all anybody who wants to secure the borders is a racist, and they're demonizing immigrants. Who are you arguing it? Well, you're setting up a straw man and bravely knocking him down. But the crowd cheered, and the whole point of running for president is being popular, and that was a popular yep. notion among that crowd. Anyway, here we go. Right now, if you were the president of the United States. We have overflowing yes. facilities. They need to go somewhere because they're in that asylum what about process. Building fa- Where would you put them? What about building proper facilities for them right now? Where? That can be done Where? I'm right on the border. Location. Right on the border at the same time. So the people who live on the border should have more facilities in their states, but sanctuary cities which have said they're right, open to accepting people should not take more. Now, this is a political act no, it's on the president. No, it's not. It's a real question. No, it's not a real question. Yes, it is. It's a political decision. So what you want to do, let's talk about immigration, yeah. which is a real issue. Okay, and then they get off into the comprehensive immigration reform. But there is no good answer for why illegals should not be sent to sanctuary cities. I realize you can't legally do that, but what? What? why Why not? Why do the border towns, the border states have to deal with it? Well, we'll get into this a little more thoroughly in the moments to come, but Yuma, Arizona, declared a state of emergency yesterday, saying it cannot handle the crush of illegal immigrants the government is being forced to release onto its streets. The mayor said migrants are being released by the Border Patrol into his community faster than they can leave. Local sh- shelters are at a capacity, at capacity. He warned of mobs of people roaming the streets looking to satisfy basic human needs clashing with citizens looking to protect their own property quote there is an immigrant threat having too many migrant releases into our community it's above our capacity as a community to sustain but bernie thinks it's just ridiculous that you would transport them elsewhere it's not even a real question i just i don't know our politics have just gotten so stupid how can adults not discuss this issue without setting up straw men and making ridiculous arguments about the other's motivation. It's just, yeah, it's discouraging. Maybe we should ask Lon Hee Chen about that. We're, ta- we're talking to him at some point, and he's one of the best political analysts I know out there. Um, what, what's going to break through? What's, what's going to be the thing that makes Congress, in a bipartisan way, actually deal with this problem? The vast majority of Americans agree on the major points. It's not politically difficult 
if, if this is one where if there were pure democracy, we could solve it very quickly mm-hmm. because the vast majority of people want to secure the borders and deal with this sort of thing and end illegal immigration. Mm-hmm. But man, I don't, I don't know what it's going to take to break through. Both parties get such advantages, including just having it as an issue. Sure. Yeah. Fundraising, whipping people up, the rest of it. Pretending that when they're in power, they'll deal with it. They mentioned that of the children and families that came over the border, released into Yuma and places like it in 2017, a couple of years ago, more than 98% were still in the U.S. as of the beginning of the year. Um, and, and this is um, mostly asylum seekers, um, most of whose claims are invalid according to our asylum laws, but 98% are still here. And I'll bet if you check back in, in uh, five years, 98% of them would still be here, too. It's a route to get in, and once you're in, you have a lot of advantages. But it just that's, that's not a real question. That's not a real question. Why not? And what's really interesting is Bernie, but Bernie's a smart guy. He's not an idiot. He may be a, a socialist, but he's not an idiot. He understands that the left has lost its mind. He used to be a guy who said, we got to secure the borders because you can't have a welfare state and open borders. You can't have democratic socialism and open borders. It doesn't work um, for reasons that, gosh, I would think are so obvious I don't need to explain them to you. Uh, but he's backed off on that talk now because he knows uh, if he's going to win the nomination, he's got to uh, he's got to be Mr. Welcome. Come on in. Well, then he probably could pivot to where the rest of the country is when he's running in the general election. Yep. Just be slightly to the left of Trump on it, which would work pretty well, probably. Um, Maybe we should talk to somebody in Yuma at some point. Love the idea. Newspaper person or policeman or something. God dang it. That's got to be frustrating. You are listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.